Experience the power of 5G with T-Mobile. With faster 5G speeds nationwide, you can upload your favorite videos super fast or game on the go. Plus, T-Mobile has more 5G bars in more places, so you can stay connected to what matters most from almost anywhere. Switch to T-Mobile today, the leader in 5G. T-Mobile has America's largest 5G network, fastest based on median overall combined 5G speeds according to analysis by Ookla of Speed Test Intelligence Data 5G speeds for Q4 2021. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. You know the old saying, selling like hotcakes? What does that even mean? What is a hotcake anyway? They should change it to selling like Hondas, because right now Hondas are selling faster than ever. Probably because they're so rugged, long-lasting, and fuel-efficient. And if you want one, you should get to your local Honda dealer right away. Check out the eight-passenger pilot, or maybe the adventurous Passport. But you gotta do it fast, because Hondas are selling like, well, Hondas. New models are arriving right now. Don't wait. See your local Honda dealer today. Do you like the great outdoors? Are you or are you looking to be a master bow hunter, king of the hill in archery? You're in the right place. Welcome to Bow Hunter Planet. It's the Bow Hunter Planet podcast, recorded live in the BHP Studios, Detroit, Michigan, with your host, Team BHP. The BHP podcast is proudly presented by Vanguard Outdoors. Learn more at vanguardworld.us. Hello and welcome to the bowhunterplanet.com podcast. It's me, Dave Thomas, and today I am going to talk to you about QDM, quality deer management. Um, we do have a special guest, uh, Lindsay Thomas, coming on from the QDM team. Uh, well, he'll be joining us soon here, but before he does that, I just want to talk to you guys a little bit about QDM from our perspective before we get it from uh, the organization's perspective. So QDM, or quality deer management, is a process uh, and a, um, well, uh, I guess you could call it a organization, um, but it's also an actual process that um, passing on deer, they're doing different things to um, get deer to get bigger. So you you want to have quality deer, and that's the whole concept of quality um, whitetails. You know, getting quality deer. So people do this um, on their lands to ch- try to generate bigger bucks, and how that happens is that. Uh, they they basically um, let them go, let them let them go, let them grow. Um, that's kind of how it happens. So <laughs> that's pretty much the gist of it. Now, does it work? Yeah, I think it works if you have the space to do it. I think that's always been the biggest issue uh, is having the space to um, make that happen. And uh, I do think that people uh, have a hard time with it. You know, some good, some bad on how it works. Um, because you have to pass, and a lot of people are okay with that, and some people aren't, because some people are just in it for the meat, uh, other people are in it for the uh, size of the deer. Um, having hunted uh, a mature deer before in my life, uh, I will say there is a difference, and it does make it very exciting. Uh, right now, I'm trying to actually hunt a mature deer. It's about five and a half years old. It's an older deer and a big deer, and I wouldn't say it was done because of QDM, but it was done because he's that good. <laughs> um, but that's how he did it. So, and this buck's been hard to find, hard to get to, um, hard to hunt, really. He just knows when you're out there and stays away. So, uh, but QDM, I've seen it uh, in different aspects. I've seen it in enclosures. When I've been to an enclosure for photography stuff, uh, the deer get massive if they're given that, that space to do that and time and energy into them. Um, I've seen it on some lands locally that uh, there was a co-op with, uh, the neighbors on a couple of pieces of parcels I've hunted 
where um, they were letting uh, anything six or under go, and then they were trying to age them. But some people, some people have a hard time with aging deer. Um, so, but I have seen nice bucks on those lots because of that, you know. And uh, when I say nice bucks, the the the, the number I think in my mind is one forty. But um, some people would beg to differ and say, you know, nice buck to them would be one seventy, one eighty. Who knows, right? Just depends where you're at and what your um, goals are in life with hunting. So anyway, uh, Quality Deer Management also has Quality Whitetails magazine. Um, you can sign up for uh, QDA, um, Quality Deer Management, uh, QDMA.com is where you'd go to learn. Uh, Lindsay was nice enough to send me a whole bunch of articles and stuff on data, which I was really excited to, to check out. Um, they have they have like tons of stuff here in their whitetail reports. A lot of harvest numbers uh, in their reporting. Uh, it gives you a lot of stuff to look at. Interesting fact, though. Uh, total 2015 U.S. deer harvest by weapon. 66% is firearm, 2% is other, 10% is muzzleloader, and 22% is bow. I'm not completely surprised by that. I'm not going to lie. That sounds about right to me, uh, what I think it would be. So um, anyhow, let's get Lindsay on the line. Let's learn about QDM. Let's learn about their, their um, organization, how you can sign up if you're interested. And uh, let's also learn about some of the myths of QDM, you know, like if I let it go, is it going to really grow or is someone going to shoot it? Um, and what kind of land do I need to do that? You know, like what kind of size is required to try to do a QDM situation? So anyhow, let's get Lindsay on the line uh, after this message from our sponsors and uh, we'll be right back. Hey guys, Dave from the Bowhunter Planet Podcast. We're looking for cool hunting stories from you. We want to hear your stories. If you have a cool story and you want to submit it for a chance to be featured on the podcast, send us an email at team at bowhunterplanet.com with your story. There's a good chance you could be invited onto the podcast. Hey, enjoying the hunt. Back to the show, the Bowhunter Planet Podcast, with your host, Team BHP, online at bowhunterplanet.com. All right, Lindsay Thomas from uh, QDMA, how are you today? I'm good, Dave. How are you doing? Great. Thanks for joining us on the Bowhunter Planet Podcast. Uh, I was just doing an intro before I gave you a ring, um, and I have to admit, uh, I'm looking through the QDM stuff you guys have here um, that you sent me, which is absolutely phenomenal. Like, I, I can't believe the amount of data you guys have in all these magazines. It's incredible. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. We try to uh, sort of stay on the cutting edge of what's going on with deer in North America, whether that is you know, the science that helps us hunt deer better and manage deer better or the data on the management side, the agency side of things that helps us understand what our state agencies are doing and, you know, how they might be improving or how they could be improving deer management. So we, yeah, we try to keep our finger on the pulse. Yes. Yeah, it's, 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 it's honestly, it's absolutely incredible. I was just saying, I, I almost feel like we have to do episodes just on some of these facts. There's just so many different facts to look at, you know, it's mind-boggling how much data you guys are able to uh, achieve uh, through your through your magazine and your data. It's just unbelievable. So we'd be glad to help with that. <laughs> so yeah, speaking of that, let's I guess let's talk about the organization first. QDMA. Can you go through the organization, what it stands for, and I guess some of the background of it? Yeah. Well, our nonprofit mission is ensuring the future of whitetail, deer, wildlife habitat, and our hunting heritage. That kind of sums it up. Um, we are here to ensure a strong deer herd nationally uh, and in, the, in North America and for the future, but also to ensure that we have 
a hunting heritage and, and always have the ability to, to hunt a healthy and sustainable deer population. Um, really, it, it, QDMA had its foundation 30 years ago when we were nationally in a, in a situation where traditional deer management was no longer useful as a management regime. The old style of never shoot a doe and shoot the first antlered buck that comes along, you know, that had worked during restoration when we were trying to bring deer back. And when most hunters had, you know, could go days hunting without seeing a deer. And in that situation, you know, you are trying to grow the population. You don't want to shoot does. And if an antlered buck comes by that's legal, you're not going to be picky. Uh, you're going to take it home with you. And under that situation, what we were doing was helping populations grow. But we were really hammering the yearling buck age class every year. And we reached a point nationally where, that again, that was no longer practical uh, we needed to uh, thin some deer populations in areas. They were getting too dense. They were impacting the habitat, impacting herd health. And we needed to, you know, start letting some bucks reach two, two years old, three years old, some of these adult age classes so that the populations could begin to function as natural deer herds should and so that hunting could become more enjoyable. So that was where QDMA was founded, was a mission of teaching deer hunters um, basically scientifically sound deer management, uh, when and how many does to take, uh, and how to pass a few yearling bucks so that you can begin to see more of those behaviors that make hunting so exciting for all of us, whether it's more scrapes and rubs in the woods or seeing chasing and grunting and fights, and of course, seeing more adult bucks. And as a side benefit, yeah, some of those adult bucks carry bigger antlers. Um, so it's sort of the total package of managing deer herds so that we all have exciting, sustainable hunting. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I was thinking uh, while you're saying all that, it's 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 really hard to um, change the thought process of, of people who don't uh, are are not necessarily hunt. I wouldn't. Okay, they're hunters, but I guess I want to say weekend warriors is what I was getting to. Um, those folks, um, like for instance, people I'd work with on a daily basis that don't hunt like we do but just go out and hunt, you know, maybe one, one weekend a year and they don't follow the QDM stuff. They don't follow along in the industry. They don't really pay attention to deer herds. They don't really think about all that stuff. They're just the person who goes and buys the, the tag and goes out. Um, I guess the question is how do we educate people like that, um, in that case? And, and, you know, I can think of multiple occasions that, you know, these people, the same people speak of things like, oh, you know, I saw, I waited because I, I didn't want to shoot that doe, but then I shot that spike. Oh, I got a buck, blah, blah, blah. Right. So I guess, how do you, how do you go about educating these people who are, are not following these things, right? That are like kind of the, the outliers, I guess. Well, and the, the thing for us is we understand that's always going to be the case. A significant portion of folks that are quote deer hunters in North America are what you would say, you know, someone who might hunt one weekend a year. They go with a friend or a family member. They don't hunt regularly. They are, uh, you know, but they are still deer hunters like us and sort of to us, you know, still part of the family. And, and where we answer that as an organization is that QDM as a philosophy and what we recommend is totally flexible for anybody's situation. You know, we don't say that we believe every deer hunter out there should comply with a certain set of rules regarding what deer they harvest or don't harvest. It's very flexible. You can do a little bit of QDM or you can do none of it, or you can go all the way and really sort of do a high level of it. 
it's very flexible to, to fit in these situations. Certainly for, uh, you know, our feeling is that folks should take any deer that's legal and makes them happy. Um, and generally we feel that, you know, if you want to try QDM, it is something you work your way into gradually. It's a stair-step approach. It is not something that you immediately graduate to an advanced level where you were a beginning hunter before. Um, many of us, myself included, who work here at QDMA, our first deer was a yearling buck. Uh, that was certainly true for me and a lot of us here, and we all worked our, our way gradually over seasons into the idea of protecting different age classes of bucks or taking the right number of does and becoming more of a population manager and less of sort of a uh, you know, hunter in passing. So we think everybody ought to have that same opportunity to work their way into this gradually. And that's sort of the lesson we put out there is you don't have to dive into this whole hog. You don't have to own land. Um, all of these things that many people see as barriers really aren't barriers. It's something that you take a little at a time. Yeah, I actually like that approach. I like the idea of, you know, it's personal, it's on you, you own it. You know, I like that idea because I think that what happens is people will do QDM and then they'll complain about their neighbors, you know. And in Michigan, like a good example of that would be a lot of the parcels here aren't big. You know, they're 10-acre, 20-acre, 40-acre, 60-acre parcels that, you know, sometimes back up to state land, sometimes don't. But in order for people to do QDM, they, they need to get a co-op with the, the people around them. And sometimes it works. And then sometimes it doesn't because someone doesn't follow it to a T um, and they have problems where, you know, still little deer are getting shot and, they, you know, or there's a neighbor who doesn't want to do it. And um, so I think that's the way to do it. You know, like what you just said is it's kind of on you. It's up to you how to do it. Um, but it, it is hard, I think, for to get other people to do that and to follow those rules because, you know, let's face it, like you said, you know, it, it, everybody's different in how they approach everything. For instance, I know hunters that hunt in the upper peninsula of Michigan and, you know, they might see three deer a year. It doesn't matter what they are, they eat them. They don't have a lot of money. This is like their food source. So right. in their case, I understand completely that it does not matter at all what that animal is because it feeds their children. And so for that case, to me, it's it's no brainer. But I think one of my bigger questions for for the uh, your team is that would the ultimate goal? I don't know about goal being the right word, but would would it be a better thing if uh, the states would be more involved? And I know certain states have more rules than others. For instance, Michigan's rules are you can shoot two bucks, and uh, the first one is I believe any buck, and the second one is four points on one side or better. So. Do you guys feel that, you know, if the states were to get more involved, this would actually kind of fix itself? Um, yeah, and in many cases, they are. We're seeing that happen over time. Um, the truth is, Dave, that, you know, in many state wildlife agencies, just like I said, where uh, a traditional uh, regime or, or plan around how you manage deer was there for years and well ingrained, and it's taken time for it to sort of fade out. Same thing with agencies where many employees and biologists had been there for years. They were raised and trained under a traditional deer management regime. And, you know, the idea of changing that was, was new to them. Well, we are gradually seeing more and more newer, younger uh, professional deer managers coming into these state agencies who've seen the science, you know, were, you know, raised on QDM themselves in deer hunting scenarios with QDM and much more familiar with it and much more open to doing what they can, you know, at the agency level to have uh, better deer management of the state uh, population. Now, it's not always possible. State agencies, that's a big ship to run. 
And, you know, that's not a, a ship that you can turn on a dime, unlike someone managing a deer population at a property level. State agencies have a big responsibility managing a statewide deer herd, and you can't always uh, achieve the same things. But many of them, and in fact, most of them today, are really making great strides in deer management. It's not always about antler point regulations to get that done. Um, we hold up Oklahoma as an example. The state of Oklahoma has one of the lowest rates of yearling bucks in the buck harvest of any state in the nation, and there are no antler regs anywhere in Oklahoma. It has simply been an educational effort by the state agency to teach hunters about what happens when you get a few two- and three- and four-year-old bucks out there and how your hunting becomes more enjoyable. And they have really done a good job of convincing their hunters to protect you know, most or all of the yearling bucks, and it's working. So there's different approaches. Each agency tries it differently. Some of them are having more success than others. But what we're seeing nationally over a period of years is a steady downward trend in the rate of yearling buck harvest in states that have regulations for antlers and states that don't. So across the board, what we're seeing is that, by and large, the North American deer hunter is, is coming to want that uh, game of protecting more yearling bucks and beginning to see more adult bucks, whether it's a rule or not. That's yeah. the trend. And we're, you know, some, I, I hear folks in states, particularly in the North and the Michigan and others, where they still do have high rates of yearling buck harvest. And they compare it to other states and say, and ours is still so high compared to, say, some of these in the South or Oklahoma or wherever, wherever it might be. But you, if you look within that state and you look at the trend over time, their yearling buck harvest rates are coming down as well. They yeah. just started out at a higher point than many of these other states in the South. And it's, you know, they're a little bit later coming to the game, but it's changing. The trend is going that way. Yeah, that's, uh, I agree. I, that's amazing. Um, I was just thinking about other states while you're saying that, uh, Ohio, uh, Illinois, um, and, and I just wish that um, some hunters could experience what it's like to hunt in those states compared to where they hunt now and, and see why it's an important difference. We have a hunter every year that goes to Illinois every single year uh, to hunt bucks, and, and his reply is that um, there's nothing like that in Michigan. And when we're in Illinois, um, you know, you're grunting, you're rattling, and bucks are coming in to fight, coming in. You know, it's just an amazing experience, I think unlike anything a lot of people have experienced in, in some of these regions, Ohio is pretty good. They got obviously some nice bucks there. They have different rules. Um, well, here's the thing to remember about that, Dave. And I hear this a lot where someone travels to the Midwest or to some state like that from an area like where I'm from here in Georgia and tries hunting somewhere, you know, with an outfitter or whatever, and is just blown away, just like you just said, by, by the quality or size of bucks they saw or the number of bucks or how rattling worked or whatever. And they say, I'm going to come back home to Georgia, Florida, you know, name a, a, a southeastern or even a northeastern state where the habitat is not as good, the deer populations are not as uh, uh, viable, and I'm going to try it here. And they try it, but they don't get what they experienced in that other state, and therefore they think QDM failed. Well, you have to go into it uh, with realistic expectations and understand that what you're trying to do is produce better deer hunting where you stand. Yeah. the best deer hunting you can where you are. You cannot measure it by saying, hey, we're going to have bucks with the antler inches that they have in Illinois or Iowa because most other states can't do that. You don't have the habitat to produce those size, body size or antler size of deer. But if you look at it as we're going to have more adult bucks in the population than we used to have where I hunt, and that means we're going to have bigger antlers or, or maybe the best antler size we could have in this area, and we're going to enjoy better deer hunting, bigger body size deer uh, than we had in the past, more productivity, healthier deer, all of that. 
better than what I had before where I stand, then you're going to be happy, you're going to be satisfied, and you're going to understand the achievement that you made and the improvement that you made by comparing it to with that local yardstick instead of worrying about, I want what they have in some other state. Oh, for sure. That that makes complete sense. And uh, I, I do have a question when it comes to deer doe population and, and um what is there a number that you that you guys know off the top of your head that that is kind of what the ultimate I, like I guess the ratio so would it be like two does to one buck or one buck to one you know five bucks to one doe yeah there's it's changing all the time there's really no ideal a lot of people think that oh you have to have a one to one buck doe ratio uh, but no you're never that changes all the time. In fact, Kip Adams, who's our director of conservation, has written a great article that's on our website about this, the reality of buck-doe ratios. When you think about it, every spring, does uh, give birth to fawns, and they do that at a 50-50 ratio of bucks and does. So every year, you're getting a correction put into the system of an equal amount of bucks and does put back into the population. Mm, and point. it's how that changes during hunting season that affects the, the sex ratio. Yes, we, we think that the, the ideal is take the, take the pressure off young bucks, put some of that on does if it's needed, if you need to adjust your density where you hunt. And then by doing that, simply letting a few yearling bucks go, you're automatically uh, moving that sex ratio to the way you want it to go. You don't need to worry about whether it's two to one or one to one. Um, and you just, you know, you're just trying to begin seeing more adult bucks. Uh, and if, you're in a situation, this is another myth, is that when you practice QDM, you have to be shooting does. And that's not true. What we say is, and what we've always taught is, you take the appropriate number of does to achieve balance where you hunt with the available food. And if you've got more food and quality habitat out there than you have deer, um, you want more deer. You don't need to be shooting does. Yep. Uh, so it's about, it's about having the right number of deer out there for that habitat to sustain in a healthy condition. And when they get over that and you've got more deer than you should be feeding, that's when you take does. So by, you know, taking the does as you need to and protecting younger bucks as you can, that's, that's going to automatically adjust the sex ratio. Uh, pretty cool thing I just found here that I thought was interesting is um, uh, a bills, we'll say that, going through each state. There you go. And uh, you guys have uh, an opposed and supportive for each of those in action, which is absolutely incredible. So it goes through almost every single, well, probably every state, huh? Just about. It depends each year what comes up. Some states you have things pop up and others you don't. And we just sort of, uh, Kip Adams, again, who's our director of conservation, works on that. And he gets involved on our behalf or gets us involved uh, when we need to, when we see legislation that is either good for deer and deer hunters that we want to get behind or legislation that is not good for deer populations and deer hunting and that we want to oppose. And uh, so, yeah, that's what you're looking at is that annual report. Yeah, I got one here. It's a good one from Maryland. HB 312, allow Sunday hunting for deer. Supported? Yeah, supported. Are you kidding me right now? <laughs> no Sunday hunting. <laughs> I would die. That would be horrible. I, I know. The thing is, hunters only have a couple days to go. I mean, you, you work till Friday, right? You get out Friday, it's already dark half the time. And then, uh, you know, you have Saturday. That means people, I feel bad for the people in Maryland. They only, that's uh, right. That is, that's we, not, we need every bit of hunting opportunity that we can get these days. Not only places to go, but times to go. Yeah, you know, wow. everybody's living a crunched lifestyle during the work week. Uh, we all have responsibilities and stresses. And if you get a weekend day, you can go, you want to go. And the bottom line is for us, there is no biological reason to not have Sunday hunting. That's no. not a biological rule. 
There's no. nothing if you opened up Sunny Hunting there. I think that's what they that's did there. Gonna, <laughs> yeah, it's it's a social issue. It is not a biological yeah. one, and, and we need hunting opportunities. So that's where we stand For on that. For sure. One. And according to this chart, I'm going to do a shout out here. Everybody in Maine, Maryland. Let's see. There's more on here. Pennsylvania, in West Virginia. I salute you guys and uh, <laughs> support however you need help. That's unbelievable to me that you can't on a Sunday. But anyway, moving on. You guys got so much great stuff in these magazines. I'm so super impressed here. I, I'm disappointed in myself that I haven't had a chance to look at these before in the, the past nine years I've been doing this stuff. Um, well, and, and some of that rests on us, Dave. It's our fault. Uh, we are, as any nonprofit will tell you, you know, you struggle with the things you want to accomplish, but budgets are always limiting and uh, because you're a nonprofit. So if anything, that's on us that the deer world doesn't, isn't more familiar with us. And that's what we're working on is to try to let f- more folks know what we do and what we do for deer hunters. Uh, and we would appreciate the support of, of anyone who takes a look at what we do. And, and, you know, personally, any deer hunter can look at what QDMA does and say, you know what, I'm for that. I'm for healthy deer populations. I am for wise management of deer herds. I'm for recruiting new hunters uh, and creating new hunting opportunity, both private and public, uh, enhancing public land habitat so that the, the public hunting we have is better than it is. Um, all of these things that we work for, we are deer hunters just like you and everybody else. And we want to be deer hunters and we want our kids to be deer hunters and our grandkids and want that opportunity to be there for them. That's what we stand for. And, you know, we'd, we'd appreciate your support and anyone else's. We do try to return that in the form of education and information about deer that help you have better deer hunting where you're hunting. Uh, but at the same time, if you, you know, you want to support our work, uh, for the future of deer hunting, we would appreciate that support. Yeah, this is a absolutely incredible organization. Very excited. How many people uh, work at the, the organization itself? We've got about 20 folks here in the national office, which is in Georgia and that's where I work. And then maybe 15 or so in the field around the country, uh, we've got regional directors who work with our volunteer members and branches, and we've got you know Kip and his staff who are our conservation folks scattered around who work on the advocacy issues and education and et cetera. So uh, we've even got folks in Canada now. So yeah, we are uh, all over. How can uh, people go about getting involved if they want to sign up or they want to? I guess what are the ways people can get involved? Get involved. Start with the website, go to QDMA.com. You can sign up for our free newsletter. It comes out every week. It's got, you know, articles and information about deer hunting, but then also um, insights into what we're doing and how you can get engaged and get involved. That's free. Of course, we would enjoy folks who become a member. Uh, It's $35 a year and you get six issues of the magazine and support all of our nonprofit mission work. Um, And then there's additional ways as well. And, And I would say too, Go to the website and and look up under the Get Involved menu. See if there's a branch near you. Our branches are just like other organizations' chapters. They are local groups of our members who are working in their community to educate hunters there, to help hunters, to assist, to take kids hunting, to take adult hunters even who want to learn to deer hunt, to take them to the woods, Uh, habitat projects, field days. They are very engaged in the grassroots level, and there might be a group like this near you that you could learn from or get involved with. And if there's not a group near you, you can start one. So all of that begins at QDMA.com. Awesome. And, and uh, real quick, can we do a quick uh, rundown of the myths and then the answers, just real quick ones? Because I think that I, I want to verify, you know, just so we hit these bullets real quick, that people um, have these myths about QDM and, and how it works. Uh, could you kind of run through those real quick for the, for, for the uh, audience? 
Yeah, let me just give you a few real quick. We talked about doe harvest that, you know, QDM does not mean you have to shoot does. That is a site-specific prescription. Some people need to shoot does. Some people don't. Some people might need to take a few. Um, you know, another one is if you get into QDM, you have to wait until a buck is a wall hanger or he's five and a half years old to kill him. And like I already told you, no, it's a stair-step process. What we recommend is that if you want to try this, begin by protecting most or all of your yearling bucks, one and a half years old. If you've never killed a two and a half year old, start there. And you know, you're not gonna kill all of them. They're gonna slip through, some will become older. And the next thing you know, you've got a balanced age structure out there and really you know, enjoying the rewards of that. Uh, and another thing on that is you know, kids and QDM. I hear people say, well, we can't, I don't like QDM because it means a kid can't shoot whatever deer they want. We've never said that. And that's why we say, you, know, you ought to be trying to protect most or all of your yearling bucks. If you don't protect all of them, it's okay. If a kid wants to take a yearling buck as their first deer or even an adult hunter who's never killed a deer before and a yearling spike or four-pointer walks by and that deer would make them happy and it's legal, you know, our hat's off to them. So it's not about, you know, this tight prescription that everybody has to go by or these hard rules. Uh, there's flexibility in there and we do believe that kids should be able to take whatever deer they choose. Like I said, my first deer was a yearling buck. Um, Another big one is land ownership. You have to own land to practice QDM. Not true. Uh, it can be done on public land. It can be done on private land. It can be done on small acreage. Uh, you know, there are different limitations in different scenarios. But like I already said, QDM is not a, you know, all or none proposition. You can implement pieces and parts of it. And like you said, you can get to know your neighbors. Reach out. If you're on 10 acres that, that somebody lets you hunt, you don't own that. Get to know the people that hunt around you. Start working on a cooperative effort to sort of agree across a bigger area that we're going to protect some yearling bucks and see how that goes. You often find, you know, like you said before, everybody thinks their neighbor is shooting everything that's, that's got antlers. Um, and, yeah, sometimes that is true. But what I find is you've often got two people on either side of a property line who think they know what the other person wants, but they've <laughs> never met them. Yeah. Never met <laughs> I them. I see that. And you hear both sides saying, nah, that, that person over there shoots everything. They don't want, they're not interested. And they're both saying that about each other. So cross that fence, shake the hand, get to know those people, and you're going to find probably more folks in your area supportive of a cooperative effort than you think. Yeah, it makes um, sense. Another one is, you know, call bucks. We don't teach that. We don't believe that's necessary. There's no scientific evidence that trying to call bucks or shoot management bucks has any improvement whatsoever. Um, you cannot change deer genetics in wild deer with a trigger. Uh, and it's, again, it comes back to simple practices. Protect most or all of your yearling bucks. Pick an age class that's the right one for you, whether that's two or maybe three or maybe older. And if that's what you want to go for, then you select your bucks by age. And if the buck meets your age minimum, enjoy him. Don't worry about, you know, antler genetics or culling. That's really not necessary. Um, you know, another one I hear is uh, don't shoot does because that's next year's fawn crop. Well, the problem with that is in a situation where a population is too dense for an area is deer health begins to decline. And the truth is that fawn recruitment declines when individual deer health is lower. So the truth is that a smaller number of does that are in balance with the habitat and in optimal health actually produce more fawns that survive than more does that are in unhealthy condition. So it's kind of a paradox there that you have to understand, but you know, don't let yourself say, well, don't ever shoot does because they, that's your fawns for next year. 
while that sounds logical, in truth, you really need to be working to get your deer in balance with the habitat. Um, what else? Uh, another one is, um, you know, age versus score when it comes to managing bucks. I hear people often say, well, we're trying to produce bucks of, say, uh, 120 inches or better. Uh, well, the problem with that is there's a lot of overlap across age classes in antler score. And you might have, you know, your best bucks out there are going to be very good bucks at young ages. And you might have some, you know, two-year-old deer, three-year-old deer hitting 120 uh, at an age you really didn't want to shoot them at. And so, uh, you know, go by age. Don't look at the antlers or the antler score as a way to, to select your bucks. On, on, you know, and vice versa, you might have some very old bucks, four and five and older out there that don't score much on average. Uh, and they might not meet that 120 minimum. And that would be a buck that, that's a wasted resource, a wasted recreational opportunity for somebody who could have enjoyed that buck if they looked at him and said, hey, that buck meets, meets the age we're going for. Let's, let's put him on the green light list. So go by age and not by antler score. Makes sense, yeah. What did I miss? Is there another <laughs> one you can think of? There's a lot of good ones in there. As I say, um, yeah, so I guess, you know, uh, just go to QDMA.com. You can learn more about the Quality Deer Management Association uh, and everything Lindsay's up to. Lindsay Thomas, thank you so much for being a part of the podcast today. Uh, we greatly appreciate it, and uh, we appreciate the work you guys are doing to help sustain our deer population across the country. Thank you, Dave, and it's been good getting to know Bowhunter Planet. You guys are really firing on all cylinders, and uh um, good to get engaged with y'all, and also always good to talk to a Thomas cousin, particularly yeah, one yeah. from the north. <laughs> Sharing the same last name, that's so, so fun. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll be back in touch, get you back on the show again. There's so much, so many more topics to talk about, and I, I definitely want to cover um, this huge QDMA's Whitetail Report 2017. I want to, I basically want to cover this thing head to toe in multiple sessions because there's so much good data and it's unbelievable. Uh, I want to get uh, um, the other members of the team on to talk about different topics. There's so many different great topics to talk about with deer and, and uh, powerful topics when it comes to food and uh, comes to coyotes and just, I mean, random stuff, but things that are important and, you know, people should know about also when to harvest animals and when not to based on if they have fawns with them, things like that. Just a lot of good detail I think would be helpful, um, you know. Uh, and nutrition, you know, things of that nature. So anyhow. And hey, Dave, one more real quick uh, reader note. Talking about that whitetail report, we produce that annually. I'll make sure you get a copy every year. But your listeners, uh, that whitetail report is available free on our website as a PDF. So they can see that data you're talking about. Oh, uh, go very Q- good. Go to QDMA.com. It's under the About menu, whitetail report. You can download all of the annual reports we've ever produced. Awesome. Yeah. What I'll do is uh, once we start getting into this data, I'll put the link at the bottom of the podcast. People can uh, chime in and check it out. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and I definitely want to uh, talk more with you guys about the QDM stuff and children because we, we just launched our BHP Kids and that's going to be a big deal coming up for us. And uh, we really want to get more youth involved in archery and we're trying to find different ways to do it. But I also would like to team up with you guys on something like that because I think it'd be great uh, to teach kids early on the process, you know, when it comes to hunting specifically. So very absolutely. Cool. That sounds like a great partnership. We'd love to be involved. Awesome. All right, Lindsay Thomas, uh, go to, again, one last time, go to QDMA.com to learn more. And uh, thanks for listening to the podcast. We'll see you next time. Thanks so much for listening to the Bowhunter Planet podcast online at bowhunterplanet.com with your host, Team BHP. Check us out on Facebook at Bowhunter Planet. We'll catch you next time.
This message is brought to you by Regeneron. If you have diabetes, listen closely because your ears could help your eyes. Excess sugar from diabetes could lead to eye damage and vision loss, even blindness, and you might not even notice it at first. So remember, now is the time to get your eyes checked. Eye care is especially important with diabetes. See a path forward with actions and potential treatment options that may help your eyes and protect against vision loss. Go see an eye care specialist and visit nowic.com to take charge of your eyesight. That is N-O-W-E-Y-E-S-E-E.com. Hi, it's John Taffer from Bar Rescue. Did you know the second building in America was a tavern? When I built my new restaurant franchise concept, Taffer's Tavern, I thought back to the roots of what makes a tavern a tavern. Timeless character. All while delivering an unbelievably delicious food and beverage experience. That paired with my 40 plus years in the industry provides a clear roadmap to success. Do you have what it takes to be a Taffer's Tavern franchisee? If so, I'd love to hear from you. Visit franchise.tafferstavern.com.